Well, welcome to worship today. I add my greetings to Hojins. It's good to gather. And once again, I am very grateful for technology so we can get together. What a week it has been and how quickly things have been changing. As I was preparing to preach this week, I was thinking it was just 14 days ago that we were in Be Fit together. And I was preaching on Deborah, wise, available, humble Deborah. And from Barak, asking others to journey with you. The qualities of wisdom, being available, being humble, and asking others to help you are needed even more now. Be wise in your behavior, your self-care, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. Be available through technology. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. We can see each other and hear each other. Be humble. We don't have all the answers. Listen to others. Learn from each other as we share what we are doing. And this last lesson we learned from Barak, to reach out to each other is vital. We will all be going through waves of being okay and waves when we need to reach out to someone and say, I am not doing okay right now. Please listen to why I feel anxious. Let me cry on our virtual shoulder. Comfort me. Pray for me. The stories from around the world of people living this out is amazing. Singing with each other from balconies, getting groceries for people who are self-isolating, playing music for shut-ins, Zumba classes across backyards, going to windows to see our seniors, keeping distance and waving from afar. I've recently heard the change from the term social distancing to physical distancing. Keep being social more than ever before. Just do it safely. And through it all, God, we are desperately in need of our King. As we head into scripture today, let's turn to the Holy Spirit for guidance and pray. So Heavenly Father, we live in chaotic times. Our foundation is solid though in you. And so Holy Spirit, we turn back to, um, to scripture to see what God can teach us. So please open our hearts and our spirits and souls to what you want to teach us today. And just be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our ongoing transition to our new temporary normal, we're returning to this crazy book of Judges. So many of the stories in there make you say, what? What is going on? Well, it's the history of the Israelite people as they were living in tumultuous times. They were in the promised land, sort of settled, however, always living in the threat of others attacking them. God had promised the people that he was their God, like in recorded Exodus 34, when God himself says his name. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And in response to this covenant relationship with God, the people were called for this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you are arise. Bind them as a sign in your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Love God through our day-to-day -day lives, all locations, all times. 
have reminders because he is the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yet, despite knowing all of this, all that God had done for them, as it says in the last verse of Judges, they were without a king and the people did what was right in their own eyes. With your extra free time, read through all of Judges. It is wild. Read it and virtually discuss it with each other. But today our teaching comes from Judges 17 and 18. And it involves a man named Micah. Now, he's not described as a judge or a leader. Yet for some reason we have his story. Please know this is a man who's very different than the prophet Micah. Who is one of the minor prophets and has a book named after him. They lived at very different time periods and were very different men. All we know about this Micah is that he lived in the hill country of Ephraim. And as we look at his story, we will learn more about his character and the character of a few others in this narrative, how they dealt with their own anxieties and uncertainties in their lives. And I believe we will learn about our own characters and our own faith journey. But I'm going to do something a little different with this story, and I'm just going to tell you the story. To read it all through these two chapters would be way too long, yet I believe we need to hear most of it and we'll learn the way God is teaching us through this story. As we go through this narrative, I'm going to pose some questions that only you can answer for yourself. I'm going to weave the telling of the story with God's teaching along the way, and at the end, we should be able to see how our lives have been similar to theirs at different points in our journey and how we are called to live differently. So this starts with Micah and his mom. It starts with Micah telling his mom that he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from her. That's a whole lot of money. Most scholars believe that this would be a year's wage for 110 years. Now he returns the money because she had uttered a curse to the person who stole it, and he wanted her blessing instead. I think this part of the story in itself is a look at a highly dysfunctional family. So she blesses him. She says, may my son be blessed by the Lord. So we get to see that there is belief in God in this family. But she goes on and says, I consecrate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make an idol of cast metal. So consecrate means to dedicate it to the Lord, to make it sacred. So she wants the silver to be sacred. Dedicated to the Lord, but to make an idol of it? We start to see a glimpse that all is not right in how this family worships, or who or what they believe God is. Now are the parts of our lives we dedicate to God and then make an idol of it. Even serving God can become about us, our actions, our results, and not about God. Do we blur the lines between sacred and earthly? What parts of our life do we pick and choose to get dedicate to God? Our times with some friends, but not others. Our times at church and CG, but not my workday and not my Friday nights. I consecrate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make an idol of cast metal. So Micah takes this idol in his home where he already has some teraphims, which were household gods. And the people believed at that time that they were givers of prosperity, idols in a human shape. 
An ephod robe that a Hebrew priest would wear, described in Exodus 28, he also had, and he put one of his sons to be the priest of his little home worship center. Micah appears to have a whole mix of things going on when he worships at home. A priestly robe reflects some of the Hebrew worship of the day. However, he has a household gods and now has this new idol. And then he places his son as priest. So let's just cover all the bases and worship everything. In the Ten Commandments, given directly from God, he was really clear. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Micah seems to have already forgotten this. His faith has adapted to the world around him and meshed with the local pagan beliefs. As a believer, Jesus is at the center of our lives and our heart and our worship. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Paul also writes in the letter to the Galatians that it is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who lives in us. So what else is on the altar of our heart along with Jesus? Have we placed certain people there that we value more than Jesus? Wealth, status, number of followers, fears, or anxieties? Do our actions show that Jesus is at the center, is the one and only that we worship? Or do our actions reveal we worship other things? the other things that are sitting in our hearts, like Micah. So Micah's all set up in his little worship center at home, and along comes a Levite, who's one of the priestly tribe of Aaron, Moses' brother. Now this man left Bethlehem, we don't know why, and he found his way up to Micah's home. Micah said, stay with me, I'll pay you 10 pieces of silver a year, food, give you a place to stay, and you can be the priest in my home. And the Levite agreed. Now, Micah then says, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because the Levite has become my priest. My priest. To Micah, all seemed ready for prosperity. Micah incorrectly tied the presence of a priest as an aspect of worship that has to be there for it to be successful. A recognized priest had to be present for God to be present and for prosperity. Like Micah said, now I know Lord will prosper me because the Levite has become my priest. He had his idols and his priest, he's going to prosper. Remember he stole that money from his mom? His reason for establishing his own shrine for worship was all about him, his position, his wealth, and what he could get from it. However, Micah's actions were not based on the teachings of God's word. He sought to serve God the way he wanted not the way God had commanded. He also wanted to worship for what he could get from God, prosperity, instead of worshiping God because he is the only thing worthy of worship. For us, worship is a matter of the heart. Remember, Jesus Christ is the priest, and we are the priesthood of believers. We go directly to God because God came to earth as Jesus Christ to establish that direct relationship with him. We do not have to go through someone else we do not need a priest to intercede for us. However, there are times we doubt we can go to God, that we think we need to be in a specific place or be with certain people. If you have thought this in the past, I pray that this time of worshiping on your own home elevates your trust, that you can go to God anytime, any place. 
and the phrase that we are the priesthood of believers. There are times when we help each other out, journey together towards God. Do reach out to others. Do be available when others reach out and we will go to God together. Okay, so that is Micah. And now the story switches to the tribe of Dan. Now the tribes in Israel were descendants from the 12 sons of Jacob. There were 12 tribes. And as with all the tribes, they were given a portion of land for their tribe. And the tribe of Dan got this nice piece of land right on the Mediterranean Sea. Ah, the beach. However, they didn't settle in well. They felt they were being overrun by the Philistines, so they wanted to move somewhere else. Now, there's a whole sermon about not trusting God in the land he gave them that was truly theirs. However, that's for another day. So the tribe sends out five men to find a new place for them to inhabit. And as they're heading north, they end up at Micah's house. And they see the idol, the household goods, the shrine, and they hear the Levite's accent. And know he's a, a Levite from Bethlehem. And they say, what are you doing here? The Levite explains that he's the priest of the house, and he's been paid to be there. They ask for any word from God for their mission, and after they leave, the Levite tell the, the Levite, uh, before they leave, that would be more appropriate, the Levite tells them they will succeed, and they're on their way. They find a land with weak people on it, and they return to the tribe. And the whole tribe comes together, everybody, all their, all their animals, women and children, and they all head north to go conquer this land they found. So the tribe of Dan heads out, and they go by Micah's house. And the five who were there before said, hey, you know what? He's got some idols and some gods. So the five go into his house. They put 600 armed men around the house. They take the idols, they take the household gods, and they ask the Levite to come with them. They seem to play up his ego a bit here. They say, is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one person or to be a priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? So the priest joins them. And so for the tribe of Dan, their view of the presence of God, how to worship God, is highly influenced by the world around them, even to the point of stealing gods. They were part of the Israelites who God promised to always be with, and they were told to worship and love with all their hearts, souls, and might. Love God, not idols, and not man-made household gods, that they didn't listen. They were unfaithful to our faithful God. So what influences our lives draws us away from being faithful to our faithful God. So after the tribe leaves Micah's house, Micah gathers his neighbors and he goes after them. He catches up to them and says, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? What have I left? The people of the tribe of Dan basically tell him to be quiet or some of their myths may attack him and kill him. They, they threaten him. And so Micah heads home. And the chapter ends with the tribe of Dan conquering the land they wanted, setting up Micah's idols as their own with their own priests. So Micah's paganized worship of God is taken over by the tribe of Dan. And the tribe had abandoned its appointed inheritance of the land and they migrated north. Micah's false gods led to false worship among an entire tribe of Israel for several generations. We may not think our sinful actions hurt others, yet they do. And the impact of those actions 
we think we may never see, yet they last. It's a crazy story, isn't it? Chaos seems to be ruling. And right in the middle of this story, we have this verse again. Same one at the end of the, of the book of Judges we've been talking about. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. I believe this story reveals to us how not to worship. What not to worship, especially in chaotic times that we live in now. See, Micah certainly believed he needed to have a shrine, his own gods he made, and his own priest with him to worship, to believe God was with him. Once those were removed from his home, he said, what have I left? Micah thought God was gone from his home and his presence. For Micah and the tribe of Dan, they worshipped the idol they made with 200 pieces of silver from Micah's mother and other house idols Micah had in his house. For Micah, when they were gone, what have I left? His worship, his value, was on those idols and what he thought they would bring to him. He believed God had left his home. He believed God had left his presence. For us, we know that God is ever-present. Worship isn't in a specific location or even with specific people. For us, it's about who we worship and everything else stems from our understanding of who God is. Micah reveals to us in his actions his anxiety of having enough wealth. He's told from his mother. Wealth was all, about his, was all over his family, the shrine and the altar, all for him to prosper. His anxiety, he needed wealth by the world's standard. The Levite who left where he was in Bethlehem and stayed with Micah for a bit and then headed off with the tribe of Dan, his anxiety was who, who was he? His position. Who am I? He wanted to be more important by the world standard, not being who God created him to be. He was a priest of God, not a priest representing God or other man-made gods. The tribe of Dan, who left the land that was given to them, took Micah's gods, all in a desire to go their own way, anxious to fit into the world. The anxiety of this tribe be better by the world standard, using any gods they could find to get there. Now, many of us are experiencing waves of anxiety in these days. What we do with that, how long we sit with it, and how we move on from it is based on the God we worship. And it's very different than the people in this story. From Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. Micah built his own gods, worshipped in an earthly way. Yet we have an ever-present God that we worship in song, in prayer, in words, in actions. We can also worship in silence. Our God is the God, the one and only creator God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Micah tried to call down prosperity by creating and using God's the way he wanted. And based on his love of money, prosperity meant wealth. Yet we have a foundation beyond what the earth sees. Micah had his God stolen and cried, what have I left? Yet we have a God that even 
death could not defeat. Before Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was talking to his disciples. And he knew that they were going to fight, face fearful times, that they would be anxious. There would be chaos. Yet in John 16, he says, I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. Our living, loving God cannot be stolen. The tribe of Dan took the gods, looked to them for their success in their wars, took on the world's gods, yet we have the one and only God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's all we need. In today's world, when so many things have, that we have made important have been taken away, we're called to not say, what have I left? Like Micah did. When I cannot go to work, I cannot go to school, I barely can go get groceries, I cannot go to the gym, I cannot go to a movie or a restaurant, when my only connection is through technology, what have I left? When the world seems full of chaos and anxiety is in the air, what have we left? I have, you have, God, who is ever-present. A God who said and continues to say and will forever to say these words. I encourage you to just close your eyes and hear them. It is I, the Lord who goes before you. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Cast your burden on me, the Lord, and I will sustain you. I will never permit the righteous to be moved. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast all your anxiety on me, because I care for you. And hear these words from Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Heavenly Father, we hear these words. Keep reminding them of us. Let us not be drawn into worship and idols and fear and anxiety as the world does. For we know you are with us. So we pray, Father, this prayer of Paul's that he wrote to the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. 
I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now may the Lord of the peace himself give you peace at all times and in all ways. The Lord be with all of you. In Jesus' name, amen.